Good morning. morning. My name is Maureen, and I serve on staff here, and it's my privilege to bring the message this morning. I, I really appreciate those Bible Project videos. They take a whole book of the Bible and just have it make sense in, in, a, in a way. And I encourage you to go online, and if you're working through some book in the Bible, and just see what the Bible Project has to offer, because there's lots of rich, rich resources there. I've titled this sermon, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. And when I was thinking of that title, I was thinking of uh, the game Hide and Seek. I actually, confession, I love the game Hide and Seek, even at my age now. If a bunch of us got together and someone said, let's play game Hide and Seek, I would say, I'm in, I'm in. So not my husband, but I would play. So, um, but we do play with our grandsons. We have two grandsons. And one of the things that I really find funny as you're teaching children how to play hide and seek, when they're really little, you know, they don't quite under, understand what, what it is. So, so we would say, okay, you, you go hide and I'll count and then I'll say, you know, one, two, three, ready or not, here I come. And when they're really little, often what happens after you say, ready or not, here I come, they say, here I am, I'm over here. Like the moment you say, I wonder where Amos is. Well, here I am, here I am. I said, no, no, Amos, that, that's not how we play. We can, I mean, that was fun, but let's do it again. And you hide and I'll count. So uh, my two-year-old grandson, Amos, maybe understands hiding similar to Jonah. Because when I say one, two, three, ready or not, here I come, here's how Amos hides. <laughs> Amos thinks, if she can't see me, if I can't see her, she can't see me. And then I say, no, Amos, this is how it works. You got to hide so I don't see you. Because when he thinks I see him is when we make eye contact. So I said, let's try that again. I'll count, you hide. And I said, one, two, three, ready or not, here I come. And here's where he hid. And I'm going, I wonder where Amos is. And then it's not till I get right around there and I make eye contact that he thinks I've, I've seen him. The whole concept, if I can't see you, you can't see me. When we run from God, we forget that he not only sees everything, he's omniscient, he knows everything, and he's omnipresent, he is everywhere. And when we tell the story to Jonah, at times we simplify it to uh, the simple act of disobedience and then making a wrong choice and then obeying. And you know what? That's a really good story. That's a really good story, but sometimes we leave it there. And it can even sound humorous when we add the fact that Jonah's disobedience led him to be swallowed by a whale, by a fish. And the fish was actually his, was, was salvation for him. It helped him. And then we can add that, that then he, he obeyed and, and did the right thing. And today we're going to talk about the fact and the truth that the story of Jonah has much more to teach us than just disobedience. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord, and I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for the reminder that you are everywhere, you see everything, and you know everything. And so this morning, Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to be in this place in a way and open our hearts and minds to hear what you want to say to us, hear what you want to teach us, and be open to how you want to transform us. 
And Lord, I just ask these things in your name. Amen. So we're in the series called Opportunity in Exile, and some of you have shared with me that you've just really loved this walk through some of the Old Testament and bringing it to, be, uh, to relate to us and, and where we are now and what that means for us. And um, we've been talking about culture changing, and change is a part of life. Um, my father-in-law, he's not with us any longer, but he lived to the age of 95, and I'm so thankful because he, he, we're thankful we were blessed he had a clear mind until that age. His body slowed down and he couldn't talk, but because he had such wisdom to give us, whenever he was trying to, to talk, we just waited and listened. I can't even tell you how much I loved and respected that man. He taught us so much. And so as he was getting closer to... Um, the time when things were slowing down, I remember asking him, and there were a few of us around, and we said, Grandpa, what's the most significant change you've seen in your lifetime? And he paused, because he always thought deeply when we were asking questions, and he said, there's two things. He said, in my lifetime, if I'm really thinking of change, and this was a man of faith, but his change was actually things that have happened in our world, and he said, they're transportation and communication. Because his, his career was farming, so his early days in farming were the horse and the plow and him walking behind. And his latter days in his farming career were four-wheel drive tractors that were computerized and had GPS. And he was flying around in jets. And so that was a huge, huge change that he said. And the second thing was communication. And he said, communication, because it, it's going so fast, he said, I can hardly keep up. He remembers when you, he left home as a young man to go out and get work. There's a part of leaving that you think, I'm not sure if I'm going to see my family again. And if I'm going to, I don't know when that will be. So the goodbyes were huge. But he went from that to knowing that you could write letters. It took a while to get there, but you could write letters. Then you could phone. And then in the last part of his life, he's actually talking to a screen and talking to his grandchild across the world. Those are huge shifts in communication. And if you've been um, here for the series in exile, you, you heard about change and culture change in, as far as a Christian perspective. And at the beginning of the series in an introduction that Pastor Bruce did, it was a powerful message on the change that has happened in our own country, in Canada, here. And if, if you haven't heard that, I encourage you to go back online and listen to it. Just, just some powerful shifts that kind of happen, and maybe you don't notice it unless you really take note. And last week, Pastor Dale shared the huge shifts that have happened in Christianity from a historical perspective, globally, all over the world, some of the things that have happened. And so each of us would have our own stories of change. Some would be massive, and some would be smaller and less noticeable. And for me, when I think of the change that I've experienced from a Christian perspective— it might seem minor, but it was huge for me. I didn't grow up in a home that was based on a foundation of faith. I had lots of great things taught to me in my home. Some troubled things, and I've talked about that at other times, and that's for another time. But there were a lot of good things in my home too. But faith was not a part of it. My family would never have gone to church like some of you are here this morning. That's not what we did. But my public school 
From the time I was in kindergarten to grade six, every morning we stood up beside our desks and our teachers actually taught us the Lord's Prayer. And we said the Lord's Prayer and we sang, O Canada, with In All Thy Sons Command. And so that was my growing up. I learned that there. I also had the opportunity, and it was a privilege, in grade five, our school, which was a public school, let a man come in during school hours and share the gospel. Shared the gospel and passed out New Testaments to all kids in grade five. And I still have mine. It's a little silver anniversary edition New Testament, and I still have it at home. It was very meaningful for me. But that was a privilege, and that doesn't happen that way anymore in public schools. And as we think of Jonah in the light of this exile series, I want to start by clarifying one point, and perhaps the video already did for you. Jonah is not the hero of the story. We learn from his mistakes. At the beginning, he's running from God, and at the end, he's arguing with God. And here's a simple way to understand the story of Jonah. In chapter 1, he flees. In chapter 2, he prays. In chapter 3, he preaches, though maybe not the most heartfelt message. And in chapter 4, he pouts. That's what he does. That's the story. And you know what? It doesn't really end with us knowing what happens beyond that, other than God used this story. So the story, God tells him to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent of their wicked ways. And Jonah didn't want to do this. So he went in the opposite direction to a city of Tarshish. Now, because I've practiced so much saying that word, you need to appreciate how hard it is to say that word. So will you say it with me and then you'll understand every time I have to say it, how hard. Can you say Tarshish? You guys are way better than I was. I worked at that for a while. Tarshish. So just know and feel, I feel you're with me when I'm trying to say that. It's a hard word to say. But Jonah gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish and he goes down into the bottom of the boat perhaps wanting to hide, and he falls asleep. Maybe similar to my grandson Amos. If I can't see anything, no one knows what I'm doing. No one sees me. Jonah 1.4 says, Then the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And here's what I want us to realize, that when we're running from God and we are going to have some then-the-Lord moments. And I'm sure that if you have a relationship with God, you've had some times where you've taken a ship to Tarshish at one time or another. And you know what it means at times to run and not want to obey. And maybe right now in your mind, there's something you're struggling with and it's coming to your mind. I also want to say that that's not coincidence. That's how God deals with us. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through our heart and our emotions. So if there's something he's speaking to you, I hope that's something that you're going to hold through this message and kind of discern together with him. So if you've done that, you also know that how creative the Lord can be when he wants to bring us back. And so that's what happened to Jonah. Jonah says to the people on the ship, he said, I'm the problem. You have to throw me overboard. And then another moment happens, and it's a now the Lord moment. Verse 17 says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. There will be some then the Lord moments and some now the Lord moments when we run. 
These moments have very little to do with punishment, though. They have more to do with love. The bring back, the win them back, because he loves us. The fish was actually an opportunity for Jonah to repent and be brought back. So Jonah rebels, he runs from God, he repents, and then he obeys. And that's maybe where we end the story with children, and it's still a good story there. But it's really only half the story. Jonah obeyed, and the people in Nineveh repented, and they called upon God. They gave up their evil ways, and when God saw what they did, he didn't bring destruction, he forgave. Now, if the story ended there, that's even a better ending, because we could kind of put a bow on that, and we could say, see, if you obey, look what happens. Great things happen. People come to God. But the story doesn't end there either. Because it was not because he was afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. Jonah was afraid of what God would do for them. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world in that day. And the Assyrians had a reputation for cruelty that is hard for us to fathom. And as I was studying for this message and I was reading up on the Assyrian Empire, I read such horrific things that this group of people did that I thought, I, I can't share those here in case there's children because they're horrific, they're horrible. So that is what this people group did. Um, and as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh didn't deserve God. There was a few other people that thought the same thing. He said, go ahead, Lord, push the button, open the trap door, and let them fall straight into the pit. That's what Jonah wanted for the Ninevites. So the tension comes in chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, when we read this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from saving, sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. In the message translation, it even sounds harsher. It says that Jonah, it describes it like this, Jonah was furious and he yelled and he said, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you're ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. And then he said, God, if you won't kill them, then kill me because I'm better off dead. Wow. Now we hear Jonah's heart, his hard heart. And this is where the story changes. And this is where if we press in, this is where the mirror can come up for us. And maybe we begin to see a side in us that may be a little uncomfortable. And maybe we need to check and ask ourselves, when it comes to certain people or that person or certain group of people, is there a little Jonah in each of us? Jonah was surrendered to the law of God, but he was never surrendered to the purposes of God. He became very judgmental. And so I did a bunch of research and I looked up to what, what would psychology and what would things say? How do we become judgmental? How do we become a judgmental and prejudiced person? And I have a few things that I found that people suggested. 
And the one was, maybe we become judgmental by becoming a good person. A good person, but not having compassion for people who aren't like us. Or maybe we become judgmental or prejudiced by being a very good person that does really good things, but never really surrendering to what God wants to do in the lives of people who don't seem good to you. And maybe we forget what we ultimately deserve, and we for sure forget the fact that God's love and grace is showered on us constantly. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as I was thinking of this message, I was thinking lost can look really different. It can be really sad circumstances, things that happen to people that's out of their control, and they're lost. And it's very easy to have compassion that moves us to respond with the love of Christ in those situations. But what about when lost is really ugly? What about when it's really bad circumstances, and it seems that it's actually within their control? They chose that. When the horrible things that hurt people, that kind of loss causes us to respond, but not always with the love and compassion of Christ. Here's what I want to challenge us with today. We need to remember that lost is still lost. It might just look different. It might just feel different. And I think if we really want to learn from Jonah, we need to honestly ask ourselves the question, what is my Nineveh? Or who is my Nineveh? God wants us to have the compassion for those who are lost. And we've got to remember, lost looks different. And no one is beyond his reach. <clears throat> when I think of stories of God's grace and forgiveness between people, I think of one of my favorite faith heroes, and her name is Cory Ten Boom. Cory Ten Boom has passed away, but the story of Cory Ten Boom has just been a powerful story in my life and in many lives. During World War II, the Nazis took control of most of Europe, and Cory and her family were Dutch, living in Holland, and helped hundreds of Jews from the Nazis by creating a hiding place in their house that was part of a secret transportation system to safety. On February 28, 1944, the family's operation was compromised by a secret informant and the Gestapo raided their home. Corey and her family were arrested and sent to concentration camps. And six people were still hiding in their hiding place when that happened that eventually were led to safety. Just two weeks after um, Corey's sister died because both Corey's father and her sister Betsy died in the concentration camps. And just two weeks after her sister died, Corey, at the age of 52, was released from the camp due to a clerical error. She would find out a week later that the rest of the women in her age group were executed. After she was set free from Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany, Corey Ten Boom went around the world for 33 years speaking about the love and forgiveness of God. And the next part of her story is what's spoken to me for years. Corey's faith was put to the ultimate test when one night as she was speaking, she met one of the prison guards who tortured her and her sister. I'd like you to hear Corey describe this meeting in her own words from her autobiography. 
the hiding place. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him. I saw him working his way against the crowds towards me. And it was within a minute that his gray overcoat and brown felt hat changed. And they changed to the soldier's uniform and the hat with the skull and crossbones. And it was him. One of the guards, one of the people that had tortured me and my sister Betsy. And as he was working towards me, my mind started reeling. And I went right back to that concentration camp. And I went back to those bright lights on us. And I went back to the time when all of our clothes had to be put in the pile. And we shamefully walked in front of these men. And I looked at my sister Betsy. And I saw the parchment of her skin. And I saw her ribs sticking out. And I said, Betsy, you're so thin. And the concentration camp whores came back and they were flooding in as he was getting closer and closer. And as he approached me, he put out his hand and he said, I became a Christian after the war. Isn't the love of God amazing? And in what seemed like kind of a general flippant comment, he said, would you forgive me? He didn't even recognize me as one of the women that he tortured. And I froze. I absolutely froze. And my mind started reeling. And I thought of Betsy's death. And I thought of the cruel, horrible way that she died. And he was a part of it. And I froze. And I thought, can Betsy's horrible death be erased simply by the asking? And I started to pray. And I said, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. His hand's out there. I can't do it. I said, you're going to have to do it through me. And through the power of Christ, I put out my hand, and I shook his hand, and I said, I forgive you. And it called him brother. We held hands for what seemed like a long time the former guard, and the former prisoner. And I have never felt the intense love of God so intense as I did in that moment. And I remembered the words of my sister Betsy that she said over and over again in the concentration camp. Corey, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. So this morning I just ask you, what's your pit? What's your pit? The book of Jonah ends with God asking a question, should I not have concern about the people in Nineveh? And so I felt this morning as I was preparing that I wanted to end this message with questions as well. Because I can't put bows on it. Here's some questions to think about. How do we love and treat those that represent something we fundamentally disagree with? How do we trust that God is in control even when we don't see it? And how do we forgive when it seems humanly impossible? Maybe like Corey Ten Boom, 
We say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Will you transform me and do this through me? I also want to say, I think we need to pray and recognize when the Lord's asking us to step in. In a way, when he's creating a space or a platform, and we need to be obedient to what he calls us to do. I like to call the worship band up. Just close with a couple of thoughts. Ultimately, Jonah is about the sovereignty of God and his extravagant love for us all. And one of the keys to living more like Jesus rather than like Jonah is remembering what God has done for us. And that's why Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper to repeatedly come together and remember. And it seems fitting to me that we're having communion today. And that's what we're going to remember, is what he's done for us. And maybe today you, you've, you've stuck right at the beginning of the message and you've stuck with the running from God and that's all you can think about. Maybe that's what you need to hear today is, God, I don't want to run anymore. I want a relationship with you or I want to renew my relationship with you. I don't want to run anymore. Or maybe you can relate to Jonah and there's a person or a people group that you're struggling with. Or maybe you know something that God has been telling you to do. And you're supposed to take action. If you're finding it hard to extend grace and to love someone or some group, and please don't hear me in this. I'm not saying we enter back into abusive relationships. I'm not saying, please don't hear that. This is all about us and what God does in us. And so he's here. And maybe it's like, Corey, we need to say, Lord, I don't know how to do this, what you're calling me to do. Show me what you're calling me to do. And then when humanly I can't do it, will you do it through me? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you for your presence and your spirit here. Lord, we want to follow you. We want to follow you. We don't want to run away. We want to follow you. But Lord, that there's things that are hard in that. And so, Lord, I just pray that whatever you're speaking to each individual here, Lord, that you will speak it clearly and that they will hear your voice and what you're, what you're saying to them. First of all, that you love and that you want to transform. And whatever that looks like for us in whatever place we're at, Lord, I just know you have individual messages going across this sanctuary. And Lord, I'm so thankful for that. I would never be up here if it wasn't that I knew that the Holy Spirit is a true teacher. Thank you. We trust you in that. And so, Lord, I just pray for this group that's here today. Lord, I pray we'd have the courage that you want to give us to step into what you're calling us to do to forgive where you're calling us to forgive. And Lord, to release some of those things that we might be holding and do them through the power of Christ. We love you, Lord, and because we can't do these things on our own strength, I pray them in your name. Amen.